Well, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, we are in verses 12 through 17 this morning. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written... My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Father, thank You for giving us a Savior that no one has ever spoken like. The King has come into His house The King has come to clean house. The King has come to receive praise which is only fit for God to receive. Lord, we thank You for our Jesus Christ. We we thank You that we have someone in our lives who is second to none. That we have someone in our lives who always fills us with joy and hope we, we have someone and something in our lives that we can get excited about more than anything else and anybody else. Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that You would be with us this morning as we look again to His words, as we think in particular about the temple and uh, what that represented and what it is now. Uh, Lord, we ask that You would instruct us, that You would instruct our minds Lord, that You would warm our hearts, uh, that You would move our wills, and that You would tan our hides. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Last week we saw King Jesus enter Jerusalem on His way to the cross as the soon-to-be-crucified King, the all-knowing King, the all-providing King, the Scripture-fulfilling King, the King who is worthy of obedience, the King worthy of worship, the prophet King, the uh, soon-to-be-risen King, the soon-to-be-returning and conquering King, and the King of all kings. And appropriately, the people cried out, Hosanna in the highest, which means, please save us, we beg. Praise Your name, save us now. And Many may have thought that Jesus came to save them from Roman oppression, to end the Roman oppression of the Jews, but Jesus came to save from sin. And in our text today, the target of His holy anger was not Roman oppression. 
but the way sinful men had perverted the religion of Israel. Basically, the king comes to his house to clean house. Jesus cleans house today. Jesus cleans His house. He cleans His Father's house. For Jesus, judgment starts with the household of God. And He cleanses God's temple of lovers of money and shows mercy to the weak and needy and accepts the praises of men as the God-man who came to save sinners. Jesus is the preeminent temple cleanser. The cleanser of the temple of Israel. The cleanser of the whole world temple. The cleanser of the temple that's your heart and my heart and the hearts of all sinners who would ever turn and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the cleaner of the new heavens and the new earth temple. And today is really an introduction to this passage. We're going to take a 30,000 foot view of this passage focusing on the temple. I've been here 12 years as a pastor and I don't ever remember focusing in on the meaning of the Old Testament temple and what its purpose is. And since that comes up today, we're going to actually do that today as sort of an introduction to this passage as a part one sermon of these verses and then come back next week and uh, go down and, you know, look at the trees. We're going to look at the forest today and next week we're going to look at the trees of the particulars of the text. So point number one, a brief history of the temple that Jesus cleanses. Look at verses 12 through 13 again. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And He overturned tables, the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. What is this temple? Why, why is there a temple? What are the purposes of the temple? Why is that helpful for us to know so that we better understand these verses? Well, God commanded Solomon, you remember King Solomon, David's son, to build the temple. In 1 Kings 5, 4 through 5. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. God gave Solomon rest on every side. All the enemies of Israel were defeated. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. And this temple that Solomon built stood until the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and destroyed this temple. And then a second temple was built. The second temple was built around 515 B.C. under the leadership of Ezra and Zerubbabel. And then later, around 20 B.C., Herod the Great renovated and expanded this second temple so much so that it became known as Herod's Temple. And this temple is the temple that Jesus entered and cleansed in our text this morning. There were six areas or courts of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, and so non-Jews could enter this portion. Then there's the sacred enclosure, there's the court of the women, the court of Israel, the court of the priest, and then the house of God, which contained the holy place and the holy of holies. 
And each of these courts got more restrictive on who could enter in. But as you got closer and closer to where God dwelt, the Holy of Holies, there was more restrictions on who could go there. In the house of God, where the holy place is, in the Holy of Holies, the priest could only go into the Holy Holies and only once a year, the high priest. The high priest is the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies and then only once a year. Because that was where God dwelt and He is the holy, holy, holy God. God's presence, in a sense, dwelt in the temple. 1 Kings 8, 11 and 13 the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. In verse 13, I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And so the temple was the dwelling place of God in the old covenant. But God can't be contained in a building or in heaven or anywhere. And so later in 1 Kings chapter 8, the same chapter where we're told God dwells there, we read uh, this in 1 Kings 8, 27 through 30. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. So heaven can't even contain God. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place when you hear. Forgive. And so you see both the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. He's, he, he's, he's high and lifted up and exalted and otherworldly and far from us. And yet, there's a sense in which He hears the prayers of His people and lowers Himself to, to them to hear from them and forgive them. And even in these same verses, you have heaven. Heaven can't contain you and yet heaven is your dwelling. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. All of Him is everywhere, all at the same time. Ian Proven writes, Though God will dwell in the temple, it is not to be thought of as the only place where God is, but as a special place where His name is, a place toward which His eyes are open. The hearing of prayer is done in heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. Even then, however, God cannot be lifted cannot be limited to any one place. He cannot, strictly speaking, dwell in even the highest heaven. He cannot be confined by space. And so let's, let's meditate then on the purposes of God's temple. I was helped by A. Rowland who gave me these purposes of the temple. Number one, the temple was the place of sacrifice. This temple that Jesus cleanses, this, this temple was the place of sacrifice for the Jewish people. Second Chronicles 7.12 Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when Solomon dedicates the temple, there was some blood shedding. 
in peace offerings, he offered 22,000 oxen. That's a lot of blood. I mean, I, I saw a video recently where this guy, he, he, he built in his car a seat and he had this big old oxen riding in his car down the street. He got a red, he got pulled over. <laughs> big old, big old bull sitting in his car. Huge thing driving down the road like it's, it's normal to have a passenger that's a bull. Can you imagine 22,000 of those big old things slaughtered? And not only that, not, not just, not just 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep slaughtered at the dedication of the temple. This was a place for sacrifice. Josephus, a historian around the time of Jesus, wrote that there were probably over 255,000 lambs slaughtered at the temple in Jesus' day during the Passover. So much blood. It's a bloody religion. Why? Why so much blood? Because there's so much sin. There's so much sin. And the Bible says, Hebrews 10.4, for it is impossible. Or, 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 or uh, actually, before I get to that one, <laughs> somewhere it is written, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Oh yeah, I was right. Hebrews 10.4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Beloved, this, this, this at the very beginning points us to the fact that we, we need something more than 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Do you remember when Jesus first came on the scene and the last prophet in the Old Covenant saw Jesus? And He said, I mean, think about this. These people had seen, and in their history, 120,000 lambs slain just at the dedication. And then we see Jesus. And how is He introduced? Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. And Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Beloved, there, there, there is so much blood because there's so much sin. And, and friend, if you're here this morning, you need to get this. Like nothing else in this sermon will make any sense to you unless you get this point. There is so much blood because there's so much sin and it's your sin. Unbeliever, if you're here this morning, you need to realize that you are a sinner. That you have offended God. That the very things we read about in this passage, the love of money, the, 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 the misuse of, of religion, the, the blasphemy of, 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 of coming before God in His holy place, that, that is sin. And if you're outside of Christ, that's you. You are a sinner. You have broken God's commandments and laws in manifold ways. You've loved money more than God. You've loved something more than God. It may be money. It may be sex. It, it, it may be, it may be the, the respectability of coming to church and having people think you're a holy person. You love that more than God. 
All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the good news of the gospel is that God sent the Lamb of God. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But God sent the Lamb of God who can take away sin. He is the temple. He comes into the temple. He cleanses the temple. And He is the temple destroyed on the cross where He suffered God's curse and wrath and judgment. He became the unclean thing. He, he became the love of money. He became the, the robbery, the sin of, of what was going on in the temple. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And His Father crushed Him on the cross. He died and was buried. But on the third day, unlike the temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D., Jesus rose from the dead. He rose on the third day to conquer sin, death, and hell. And He says to everyone, everywhere, if you will come out of hiding, if, if you will uh, come out of hiding and come out of your sin and repent and believe in Him, He will save you. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't go to church enough. You can't uh, give enough sacrifices. You can simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I was listening this morning during breakfast to a wonderful testimony of a young lady that, that grew up and... Um, Always wanted to play with the boys and always liked what the boys did and wanted to be a boy and thought she was a boy and thought she was born in the wrong body and she should have been a boy and, and grew up and, and went, went to this event and heard the gospel and got saved and thought the next day after she got saved by Jesus that this would change and she would no longer want to be a boy and she would no longer be attracted to the, the same sex and no longer want to be transgender, but she still struggled with this. And she went off to college and she got involved in a college group and she was drinking the Word of God and growing in Christ and growing in the love of the Lord, but she still had this secret. And this was back in the, the I believe it was the 90s where people didn't talk about this as much and she kept it a secret and she thought she's the only one who ever felt this way and she kept it hidden and she was attracted to the women in her Bible study group, but she kept it uh, hidden and she, she didn't want to tell anybody because she was so ashamed but she, she loved Jesus and she wanted to follow Jesus and she knew this was a conflict and, and she heard a sermon once on James chapter 5 where the pastor said confess your sins bring, bring it into the light confess your sins and you shall be healed and she knew she needed to bring this into the light to be healed and so she went very, very nervous and scared. She, she went to her college uh, 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 ministry leader and she told him this deep, dark secret that she'd never told anybody. And she expected to be shamed, to be told, you can't be in the group anymore, you're evil, you're wicked, you're bad, that's so bad. And this godly, wise, humble, loving um, college a ministry leader said, thank you for telling me this. Thank you for telling me this. What courage it took for you to tell me this. We want you to know we love you. We care about you. We want to help you follow Jesus and repent of this and walk with Christ. We love you. We're going to care for you. We're going to surround you with people who are going to love you and help you. And she knew. I had to stop there because breakfast was over and I had to come here. Uh, so I'll finish it later. Thank you, Steve, for sending me that. Um, but, but, but 
Maybe that, maybe something like, like that is here going on in your life this morning. You've kept a secret that you don't want anybody to know about and you, you think that if religious churchy people get to know about it that you'll just be condemned. And Well, I want you to know that the first step in coming to Christ, even if you're a believer and you have a hidden sin like that, is to bring it to the light. Bring it to the light. We're going to love you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you walk with Jesus. We're going to tell you the truth about your sin. Yes, it's a sin. <laughs> But we love you and we know a Savior who forgives sin and changes sinners and cleanses that temple He's making in you. And so, friend, if that's you, come, come to the light. Come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And if you want to talk about that more afterwards, I'll be here. There are other Christians who would love to speak with you about the greatest message in the world that we have a Savior who saves sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's the gospel. And this temple, this temple was a place of sacrifice. That was central to the temple was this blood sacrifice that ultimately points to Jesus Christ. And so that's the first, the temple, first purpose. The temple was a place of sacrifice. Number two, the temple was a place for prayer and praise. And so Jesus, in the very passage we're studying in Matthew 21, quotes Isaiah 56. And the foreigners, Isaiah 56, 6 through 7, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. Now take note of that. Uh, it wasn't just for Jews. <laughs> Even in the Old Testament, God makes it clear He is for all peoples. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Do you know that experience? Does God make you joyful here today? Joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The temple was a place of prayer, of seeking the living true God in prayer, to commune with Him in prayer and praise. Psalm 116, 19, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The temple was a place of prayer and praise. Number three, the temple was the place for setting apart or consecrating people or things for God. We, God's people are to be set apart. They're to be different than the world. They're to be holy, set apart for His purposes, for His use, for His glory. And that's a purpose of the temple. Second Chronicles 5, 11 through 14, when the priests came out of the holy place for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, the house the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The temple was a place where people and things are, are set apart as holy 
unto the Lord, consecrated Him, dedicated Him, committed to Him and His purposes and His work and His glory. Number four, the temple is the place for teaching God's law, for teaching God's Word. Deuteronomy 33.10, They, the, the Levitical priests, shall teach Jacob your rulers and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Ezra was a priest. And Ezra 7.10 says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel how we ought to follow Ezra and give ourselves to the study of the word of God and to do it and to teach it. Isaiah 2, 3, many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall come the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And beloved, what do we see Jesus doing? And as a young man in Luke 2, 46, when He got separated from His parents, remember? And after three days, they found Him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And later on in Luke 19.47, it says Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. The temple was the place for teaching God's law and word. Beloved, in other words, what we're doing now, this, this extended period of time of teaching God's word, we didn't just come up with that. <laughs> it's not by accident that the, 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 the longest part of our service is the teaching of the Word of God. <laughs> this started way back when, when God Almighty ordained that this happened in His temple, when Jesus carried on that same uh, custom to teach God's Word. We do this because God commanded and God did it, and God does it. The temple was a place for teaching God's law. Five, the temple was the place of unity among God's people and all peoples. Second Chronicles 6, 32-33, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. This was the center. The temple was the center of, of Israel's life. It brought them together from all their various backgrounds and tribes. It brought them together for the worship of God that unified them. Who unified them? And you see that is true of all peoples. All peoples of the earth that would come. God would hear and answer and help and save and forgive. The temple was a place of unity among God's people and all peoples. Number six, the temple was the place for the revelation of God to be made known. Remember, God made Himself known through the prophets. And He did that in the temple. Think of Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 7. Then He led me to the gate, the gate 
uh, facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory, and the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen in the Chabar Canal, and I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple." While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name. The temple was the place God chose to give his revelation of himself. And seventh and finally, the temple was the delight of Israel's eyes and the yearning of their souls. Beloved, do you remember in Ezekiel 24 where God is angry at His people, just like Jesus is angry with His people in our text, angry because of their sin and idolatry, and He he, he tells Ezekiel to do something crazy. It seems crazy. God tells Ezekiel, I'm going to take away the desire of your eyes, your wife. And when I do, don't you shed one tear. Can you believe God would say something like that? Beloved, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you think God's harsh towards you. How do you think Ezekiel felt? Do you think that was harsh? Maybe in, in, in God's providence, you, you feel like God is being harsh with you. Beloved, God always does something for a purpose. God loves Ezekiel. God loves His people. God loves you. And everything He does, though it may seem harsh, has a greater purpose to make you more like Jesus and to glorify His name. And true believers don't raise their fist as God when they don't like what He's doing. True believers trust God when they don't understand and say, God, you made the heavens. Where was I when you made the heavens? Where was I when you said, let there be light? Where was I when you made uh, the oxen and the cow and the sheep? Take me to the woodshed like Job. Where was I, God? I wasn't anywhere. You are God. I am not. John Piper said this week, I heard, it's good to pray daily to God. God, I'm not God. You are. It's a great daily prayer. No, people who know God don't shake their fist at God when He does things they don't understand. They trust God. They bow like Job and say, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, You are omniscient. You are all-knowing. You are almighty. You are all-good. You are all-loving. I am a worm and not a man. I trust You. And that's what Ezekiel does. He does what he's told. Yes, sir, wife dies, no crying. That was a little sidetrack because the point I'm trying to make is about the temple. But Ezekiel 24, 16 and 18 through 20 says this, Son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. In verse, verses 18 through 21. He's, he's doing this as a, as a sign that he's going to take away the desire of the eyes of Israel, which is the temple. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in evening my wife died. And on the next morning, I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things mean for us? 
that you are acting this way? I mean, they know this is crazy. Your wife dies and, okay. Then I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the temple, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the yearning of your soul. Israel loved their temple. It was the desire of their eyes. It was the desire of their eyes and the yearning of their soul. And God says, I'm giving a picture in Ezekiel. I'm going to take away the desire of his eyes, his wife, and he will not mourn. And Israel, I'm going to take away the desire of your eyes. I'm going to destroy the temple because you've sinned against me. All that to make the point, beloved, the temple was the delight of Israel's eyes and the yearning of their soul. This is the temple that Jesus came into and cleaned house. That's point number one of the sermon. That's a little background on the temple. Point number two, and there's only two points. (laughs) There are other temple cleansings in the Bible. I want to sort of give you a a big picture in the Bible of temple cleansing as a a biblical theological topic. And I read an article by a a man I went to seminary with, Gabriel Fleur. And I'm going to call him Gabriel because Fleur is hard for me to keep saying But I I read this article called Temple Cleansing, a Biblical Theological Sketch, and I'm going to quote from it extensively here uh, to to help us get a picture of of what Jesus is doing here from the whole big Bible perspective. And and, and so he, he goes through different temple cleansings throughout the Bible. The first temple cleansing, the Garden of Eden. So, so Gabriel writes, recent scholarship has argued persuasively in my judgment that the Garden of Eden was a miniature replica of the cosmos, the world. The cosmos itself being created as a giant temple of the living God. On this view, the entire universe is the heavenly temple and Eden is a replica of this temple. Seeing Eden in this way sheds light on a familiar Old Testament passage. In Genesis 2.15, Adam is placed in the garden to work it and keep it. Fascinatingly, Greg Bill notes that when these two verbs occur together elsewhere in the Old Testament, they have reference to priestly service in the temple. It is fair to conclude then that Adam was not simply an ancient farmer, though he certainly worked the land, but the first priest in God's microcosmic sanctuary. One of the main functions of the priests in the Old Testament was to discern what was unclean and what was clean. Part of Adam's sin was his failure to keep what was unclean out of the garden sanctuary. He failed in his priestly duty when he did not immediately strike down the wicked questioning snake. Satan himself thus entered in and polluted God's temple sanctuary in Eden, making unclean that which was clean and holy. The sad record of sin, brokenness, and strife that has marked out Adam's race since the fall bears damningly eloquent testimony to the effects of our first father's priestly lapse. Accordingly, Genesis 3, 8 and following records the first temple cleansing in human history. God proceeded to do what Adam failed to do and cast out that which was unclean from the garden sanctuary. But just like in the rest of the Old Testament, grace was given in the midst of judgment. For God promised the fallen priest that one day a deliverer would arise who would cleanse the world temple finally and fully by crushing the snake's head. 
That's good. That's good. That's the first temple cleansing. The unclean snake comes into the garden. God's people uh, sin and become unclean. and, And God cleans house. Get out! Puts a war angel to guard the way and cleanses his garden temple. That's the first temple cleansing. There's another temple cleansing in Nehemiah. Nehemiah cleans house in Nehemiah 13, 7 through 9. I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. He's very angry like someone else. It's a greater Nehemiah who's here. I was very angry and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Jesus overturned furniture. There's a greater Nehemiah who's here. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. The exile of Israel out of the promised land is a cleansing. Gabriel again writes, Since Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19.6, the destruction of Jerusalem and the resultant destruction of the temple during the exile were a kind of temple cleansing. Indeed, the exile was a type of shadow of the coming cosmic temple cleansing. One of the primary reasons God cast His people out of the land and destroyed the temple was because of the idolatry committed there. And then we come to temple cleansings in the New Testament. In the New Testament. Gabriel writes, the first temple cleansing after a fashion recorded in the New Testament is John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word translated dwelt is better translated tabernacled. By tabernacling among us, Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle temple, comes to cleanse God's image and ultimately His creation temple from the defilement of sin that God's first son, Adam, brought into the world. The wonder of the incarnation is that God would now not simply dwell in the Holy of Holies, but among His people personally in the Lord Jesus Christ. As God in the flesh, Jesus reveals God to us and inaugurates the final temple cleansing. Thus, when Jesus cleansed the temple during His earthly ministry, there were at least two purposes. First, our Lord was fulfilling Malachi 3.1, among other passages. What does Malachi 3.1 say? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into the temple. Ah, Malachi 3.1 says the Lord Jehovah God will come suddenly into His temple. Jesus suddenly comes into the temple and cleans house. What does that mean? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. This passage powerfully shows us that Jesus is the God-man, the Lord entering His temple, and thus He alone has the authority to cleanse the temple because He's Yahweh come in the flesh. Second, Jesus' cleansing of the temple had an end times purpose. Now, in this article, he used that big word called eschatological. Every time I see a theologian use that, I mark it out and put in brackets, end times. Because who knows what eschatological means? (laughs) How many people in the world know that? So, end times. Preachers, if you're listening to me, teachers, if you're teaching Sunday school at this church, use words people understand, or if you use them, explain them. Otherwise, you're speaking in tongues. 
So end times purpose, his cleansing the temple has an end times purpose. He was in effect pointing forward to the day when all manner of defilement would be finally removed from God's presence. Beloved, realize this about the temple. We are God's temple. And we have been cleansed. We're being cleansed. We must cleanse ourselves and we will finally and fully be cleansed. Let's think about that. Individual believers in Jesus are God's temple. I mean, this should encourage you this morning. Beloved, you here trusting in Jesus, you are the temple of the living God. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that got him up, dwells in you. You think you're defeated by sin? No, you're not. You think you can't stop doing what you think you can't stop doing? You can stop doing because Jesus rose from the dead and that spirit dwells in you. Individual believers are, are temples of living God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? And, and Paul uses this uh, as a reminder. How, how can you commit sexual morality? How can you join Jesus to a prostitute? Flee sexual morality. You're a temple of God. Be who you are. Don't listen to the lies of Satan. Don't listen to your own lies. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Be who you are, Christian. You are the temple of God Almighty. Jesus dwells in you. Live like it. So your individual believers in Jesus are God's temple. The church of gathered believers in Jesus Christ is God's temple. Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God dwells in us as the church. The Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple. Again, this, this is a church building. You're the church. This is just a building. God dwells in you. You're the temple. Christians. Only Baptist church. You're the temple. Number three, believers in Christ have been cleansed. The, 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 Jesus cleansing the temple should remind us we've been cleansed. Acts 15, 8-9 says this about the Gentiles. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Beloved, if you're a Christian here this morning, your hearts have been cleansed by faith. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. You're cleansed. You're a temple that's been cleansed. Believers in Christ are also priests. We're priests, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Believers in Christ not only have been cleansed, but we're being cleansed. 
We're being cleansed. First John 1, 7 and 9. We're, we're, we're being sanctified. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believer, we are, we are uh, undergoing sanctification. That, that's a theological word that means we are being more and more, by the Spirit of God, we're being made more holy, more humble, more loving, more like Jesus Christ. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're being cleansed. We're, 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 we're constantly repenting, asking for forgiveness, and growing in Christ-likeness. We're being cleansed and made into that spotless temple bride for Jesus Christ. Believers in Christ also must cleanse themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. You who've been cleansed and are being cleansed, cleanse yourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, promises that we are sons and daughters of the living God, since we have these amazing promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Beloved, what is going on in your life that you need to cleanse yourselves of? You've been cleansed of it. That's not you anymore. Whatever you're acting out in, that's not you. That's, that's, that's the old you. You've been cleansed. It's forgiven. Past, present, future, all cleansed. You're being cleansed. God, who began a good work in you, will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. You're being cleansed. What do you need to cleanse? What do you need to cleanse from your lives? God calls us to do that. And finally, on this note, believers in Christ will be cleansed. We will one day finally and fully be free from sin. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 and 22 through 27, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city. That's interesting, thinking about temples. I saw no temple. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. He's our temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will no, be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Beloved, we have the hope of someday seeing Jesus, and when we see Him, we will know Him as He is, and we will be perfectly and finally cleansed. There will be no more sinful nature indwelling us. We will be cleansed perfectly and finally so that we can enter in the holy city where nothing unclean will be there and nothing that is defiled. And we will be priests forever and praise King Jesus. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Gabe comments on this so we can see why Jesus' temple cleansing during His earthly ministry was a thoroughly 
end times event, meaning the end of history, the time when Jesus comes back and ushers in uh, the eternal age. It points to uh, us to this for this reason. Number one, it pointed beyond merely driving out idolatrous money changers to the great cosmic restoration of all things. Number two, it gives us a graphic picture of sanctification in this present life. And number three, it gives us hope as we look forward to the day when God completes what He began after He cleansed the garden temple in Eden. And then He gives these conclusions. First, God alone cleanses the temple. God sovereignly accomplishes the salvation of His people, which is the cleansing of His temple bride. Like every aspect of our glorious salvation in Christ, the triune God alone is the one who does it. To be incorporated into the cleansed temple, Christ's body, and to experience ongoing cleansing in this life are both the result of God's astonishing grace alone. Beloved, we know God does this. From first to last, God does this. God did what had to happen in all these temple cleansings, in Jesus dying and rising again. He does it. He does it in regenerating us. He does it in saving us and justifying us and sanctifying us. God does this. It's by grace alone. Second, seeing our sanctification as a sovereign temple cleansing provides a powerful theological category to pursue that holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14. Beloved, be reminded, Hebrews 12.14 does say there is a holiness that we must have without which no one will see the Lord. And we want to see Him. We want to see Him. You, you, You think you've seen beauty? Oh. You, you, you think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And you then, then realize God made that. How much more beautiful is the artist than the art? There is a priority of God's gracious activity in both justification and sanctification. However, seeing sanctification as a temple cleansing is demanded by the New Testament texts themselves and provides a biblical theological base from which to further explore how sanctification is, as Richard Gaffin put it, 100% our work and 100% God's. Viewed in this light, the individual believer can be strengthened in his own walk with Christ when he has the unshakable confidence that his own growth in grace is as certain as the past event of Jesus' cleansing of the temple. In other words, the historical event of our Lord's ministry provides the present-day believer with the genuine comfort of knowing that he or she will be sanctified because the temple has been cleansed. The former is as certain as the latter. Third, the Christian can fight sin and pursue holiness with joy and assurance of ultimate victory. There will be lapses, perhaps even grave lapses into sin. Like a few money changers that may have made a desperate attempt to grab some coins as they ran, those besetting sins will eventually be driven out by Jesus. Nevertheless, as those who are cleansed in Christ, as those who are a kingdom of priests united to our great high priest who has succeeded where Adam failed, let us be busy about guarding the sanctuary. We must see sanctification as a form of sanctuary guardship. 
Therefore, let us refuse to let unclean thoughts enter our minds and drive them out when they do. Men, let us guard our marriages from any unclean thing defiling our marriage beds, from pornography to other partners. And let us guard the sanctuary of our churches, so to speak, by exercising godly church discipline. What a great exhortation. Beloved, as, as we think about the, the cleansing the temple next week in more detail, just, just remember these truths that, that, that we are God's temple and we need to guard and cleanse the temple and be careful, be careful. Children, children, be careful little eyes what you see. You let that into your temple. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Your body is God's temple, and, and He wants you to care for what you let in, in the eye gate, in the ear gate, and, and He wants you to fill, fill your temple with the Word of God. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Fill your, your, that's why we give away books. We want people to be filled to overflowing with good literature about God and His Word and theology. Listen to your parents as they teach you the Word of God. Guard the temple. And when you find, when you find sin there, you get as angry as Jesus and you make that whip of cords and you drive it out for the glory of God because you're the temple. And you have hope that you can do that because Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Here in our text, and in all the ways we've thought about it, in his death and resurrection, Jesus has cleansed the temple. And, and so Gabriel ends with this. Let us do all of this with joy, for we are united to the one who was pronounced, who has pronounced us clean, because he himself was numbered with us, the unclean, outside the city, outside the temple, banished from God's presence on that cross. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because he was cast out of the presence of the Lord. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, his cosmos engrossing temple, because we have been sprinkled clean by the great high priest's blood. In this way, we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews 12, 22-24. And beloved, we, we have all of this. Again, let me remind you. We have all of this mercy because Jesus Christ, the ultimate temple of the living God, who was and is God, took all of our abominations and our sins and our idolatry and our love of money and our greed and every other iniquity and bore it all in His body on that tree. He was not cleansed. He was crushed and cursed and destroyed as the unclean thing, the most unclean thing that ever lived so that we might be called and cleansed, and clean, and consecrated, and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
In the first temple cleansing Jesus did in His ministry, yes, I do believe there are two, one at the beginning of His ministry and one at the end. In the first one, in John 2, 19-21, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But He was speaking about the temple of His body. Beloved, Jesus is the true and better temple. The temple was the place of sacrifice. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. The temple was the place of prayer and praise. Jesus made it possible for us to pray to God anywhere. Jesus gives us access to God. And Jesus causes us to praise our God and we praise Jesus as well. The temple was the place for setting apart, consecrating people uh, to God. Jesus was the only man who ever lived who was fully and perfectly set apart and consecrated to God. Holy, sinless, clean, and undefiled. And He alone made it possible for us to be set apart and consecrated to God as well. The temple was the place for teaching God's law, His Word. Jesus is God's Word. Come in the flesh. He spoke God's Word, fulfilled God's Word, trusted God's Word, obeyed God's Word, delighted in God's Word, and He enables us to be changed by God's Word and trust, obey, and delight in God and His Word as well. The temple was the place of unity among God's people and all peoples. Jesus is the temple who shed His blood to save people from every tribe and language and people and nation in order to make us as unified as one, even as He and His Father are one. See His prayer in John 17. The temple was the place for the revelation of God to be made known. Beloved, you know this, Jesus Christ is the ultimate and final revelation of God. Who is God come in the flesh. Hebrews 1, 1 1-3, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The temple was the delight of Israel's eyes and the yearning of her souls. Beloved, Jesus is to be the delight of our eyes and the yearning of our souls. Whom have we in heaven but you, Lord Jesus? There is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. And finally, beloved, the church in Christ Jesus is also a kind of true and better temple. The temple was the place of sacrifice. As the church in Christ, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The temple was the place of prayer and praise. As the church in Christ, we gather together for prayer and praise even right now. The temple was the place for setting apart, consecrating people and things for God. As the church in Christ, we are the saints. You're a saint if you're a Christian. Saint Becky. Saint Rob. Saint Rhonda. Saint Tanya. Saint Anthony. St. Joseph, I have my own university down the street. We're saints. We're set apart for God. We're His children. The temple was the place for teaching God's law. As the church in Christ, the church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. We gather to hear the Word preached, to pray the Word, to sing the Word. We preach the Word, trust in the Word, obey the Word, delight in the Word, love the Word. And we go out and spread the Word. 
The temple was the place of unity among God's people and all peoples as the church in Christ. We are one in him from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. This church was already like that 12 years ago when I came and it's still like that and I praise God for that. It's rare. The temple was the place for the revelation of God to be made known. As the church in Christ, we gather to hear what the Spirit of God says to Alney Baptist Church. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us to teach us the truth. The temple was the delight of Israel's eyes and the yearning of their souls. Oh, beloved, get this. As the church in Christ, we are the delight of God's eyes. Do you know that? Do you know that, beloved, as the church of Jesus Christ, you are beloved. You're, you're beloved. That's not just a, a, a word of introduction. It's, it's a, a word conveying you are loved of God. He will not give up on you. No matter what you're struggling with, going through sin, pain, difficulty, loss, God loves you. He will not give up. He's going to finish what he started. He cleansed the temple in our text and He's going to cleanse you and He's going to cleanse the world and the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and there's going to be joy forevermore because God loves you. You are the delight of God's eyes. He yearns for you with love. You are the apple of God's eye and He sings with shouts over you with love songs. That's what the prophet says. He sings over you with love. You are the delight of God's eyes. You are the yearning of his heart, church. Do you believe that? You'd live differently, right? If you live from the smile of God, not for the smile, as Ortland says, but for, from the smile of God. He smiles over you. He loves you. You are the temple. You are the true and better temple. Christ Jesus is the temple praise. The God-man truth his life conveys. Zeal for God's house he loves, obeys. He toppled tables in a blaze of righteous anger for their craze for money and their sinful ways. The temple is for prayer and praise of him who sent his son these days to die and rise so we could raise hosannas to our God always. Now every nation to him prays. He's healer. Wonderful's the phrase that captures what he is. Amaze, all hell, all hell, the king of praise, who is our all, our all always, who saved us from our sinful ways. So he forever will be our craze. Lord, we ask that that would be true of us. Lord, remind us of who we are today. Remind us that we are your temple that you dwell in us, that you have cleansed your temple. You are cleansing. You call us to do some cleansing. And Lord, we have the hope that someday very soon, in light of eternity for all of us, it's very soon, we, we will be fully and finally cleansed. And Lord, we long for the day, Jesus, when you come back to finally cleanse this whole earth temple for the glory of your name father help us to be busy about your business help us to rest in your love for us help us to know that you sing and shout praise and love over us father help us to be busy about uh, 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 knowing how we should cleanse ourselves lord we pray that you would convict us of sins today lord uh, maybe there are things we're keeping secret that we need to bring into the light like this young woman 
who told her campus pastor, Lord, we, we want to be free from sin. We want to be cleansed. We want to cleanse ourselves more. We want to be more like Jesus. And so God, help us to do that. We pray, Lord, that we would truly find Jesus to be our craze, that we would be crazy about Him, crazy in love with Jesus. We want to be crazy in love with you, Jesus. And so fill us with your spirit and move us to love you with all our hearts and mind and soul and strength. Move us to trust you. God, move us to to know that you're more crazy about us than we are about you. That you'll never let us go. That your love is great. That you are love. God, help us to know that and live from it. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.